Hey, this is Liberty DeVito, and you're listening to the Fab Four Free For All. And we are fading in to uh, a new episode of Fab Four Free For All. I am your moderator for this episode. <coughs> and joining me as they do every week are my friends Mitch Axelrod. Hey, everybody. How are you? And Mr. Rob Leonard. Hey, how we doing today? How we doing? And um, this is... Arm, the, some of you may be listening to us in the usual uh, format on um, uh, Spotify or however you listen or through iTunes. Um, but for this uh, for this time around, we're taking advantage of all the uh, <coughs> modern technology, all the modern technology and everything that's been uh, going on with doing some uh, teleconferencing here, and uh, um, basically just doing a video episode. So um, this week, this this week, we're not really weekly anymore. This no. time around, um, we were looking at our. Um, uh, what are they called again? The, the review, analysis. review and analysis shows that we do. And we realized that we'd never done um, Meet the Beatles or With the Beatles. And, you know, okay, With the Beatles is the catalog album, is the second, uh, you know, Beatles 12-inch release. But we won't be Americans. Um, you know, we really, I mean, you, I know, Mitch, you got a lot of the imports. Um, when they were coming out, but for the most part, for us, we grew up with Meet the Beatles as being our uh, our album. Um, so we decided for this review and analysis, we were going to look at the very first album released on Capitol Records, which is Meet the Beatles. And um, yeah, I mean, there's quite a, a unique history behind it, and uh, probably there's probably more of a history behind Meet the Beatles really than with the Beatles. I mean, with the Beatles was really just oh. the next album. Well, yeah, with, with the Beatles was the Beatles' next album in the UK. It was the first, quote, official album here, and that's the way Capitol pushed it. But BJ really owned the rights to the Beatles' work prior. So uh, when I Want to Hold Your Hand came out in December of 63, uh, VJ was pissed. And, and there's a whole, you know, there's really a back... Well, part of it has to do with the fact that VJ had stopped paying Transglobal, who owned the, who sold the rights to VJ. They stopped paying them the money, even though there wasn't a lot there. And what happened was the Beatles become the biggest act in the world, and all of a sudden VJ realizes, oh my God, we have the biggest band in the world, but Capital had sort of gotten the rights back. So the introducing the Beatles, which came out around the same time, and they, they put it out, but then they eventually lost the rights to it. Well, yeah, so but it, I, think, I think we need to, in order to go forward, we need to go a little back because you need to figure out, you know, what happened to, with VJ, not with VJ, but VJ had the rights, like you said, but, and they put out introducing the Beatles 10 days prior to meet the Beatles. Because, right. 10 days prior. Uh, what funny. was that? No, I said 10 days prior. Yes. That's wild. Well, only because... They knew that I want to hold your hand was selling, but we need to uh, we need to understand about I want to hold your hand too. And, and you should really read Bruce Spies's book, Coming to America. It's really great. Um, but you know, Dave Dexter, who we've talked about so many times on this show, he turned the Beatles. He was really in charge of reviewing all the foreign 
acts for capital to see if they were worthy of a an American release. And Alan Livingston, who was the president of Capital, would listen to him and trust him. And most of the acts, most of the stuff they brought over here and released failed. So Alan Livingston was, you know, was actually trusting Dave Dexter a lot. And he hated the Beatles sound. He just called them long haired. And he said, forget about it. So Alan Livingston said, okay, we'll forget about it. And then when I Want to Hold Your Hand was released in the UK and Dave Dexter rejected it, Brian Epstein got really pissed. And he actually came to New York in November of 63 and met with like the capital, because uh, Sir Joseph Lockwood said they, he should. Uh, he met with uh, some promotional people and played it. And, and then they got in touch with Livingston. And Livingston played it for his wife and said, are we missing the boat here? And they said, she said, yeah. So, you know, the, the capital, capital then went on to spend 40 grand, which is one unheard of, to promote the Beatles here. And behind the scenes, capital people was telling Brian Epstein, we could spend all the money we want. This is not going to go anywhere. Well, also, the 40000 was never all spent. Right. It, it, the sales were so big, they didn't have to spend it. So they, right. they did use a little of it. And there's a lot of different uh, things to promote the Beatles at that time. But they never got through the 40000 which you know, was, which was a ton of money to promote a song back then. So but um, and to something to be thought of. Never really heard of. Right. I mean, but the, the question is, if VJ had paid Transglobal, would VJ have been given right of first refusal to? Yes. They would have been, they would have owned everything until 67 that they had paid wow. it off. Yeah. They had but they, trouble. What was that? They had financial trouble, so they couldn't pay. Yep. Yep. Right. And, Ma matter of fact, one more thing, the four seasons got out of their contract with VJ for the same reason. They weren't being paid. Eventually they sued them and they got with the rights to all the masters. Unbelievable. So, so and the funny thing is, there's a there's a copy of uh, a telegram that was actually just on on uh, eBay, um, and it's actually in my hand, not the actual one because I didn't buy it. I made a copy. So it's a telegram from VJ to Capital on January 14th, my mom's birthday, in 1964. So it's six days before the album comes out. And it says, notice is hereby given that VJ is the authorized distributor of the Beatles recordings. VJ has commenced legal proceedings to require capital to cease and desist from further interference and infringement upon VJ's rights. We wow. hereby notify you that any manufacturer and sales of Beatles recordings on the capital label is a violation of VJ's rights and liability will be extended to persons conducting such manufacture and sales. VJ records. <laughs> Wow. wow. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, they they missed it by like like two weeks like or something. Missed it by that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they know because you know VJ was trying, but they still had the rights for a little bit. So when I want to hold your hand came out and, and went number one, he said, "Screw it, we you know we're just doing it." And they even though they were still in financial trouble, they got it out and. Yeah. Introducing really became the first American album. Right. Right. You know, and introducing was just really the British Please Please Me. Minus two songs. Yeah. Right. Yes. And 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 Meat was really with. So EMI well, was but, but it wasn't. It, right. We'll talk but about it that. So that's what's interesting about it. Um 
But one more thing, one more thing. Uh, we mentioned Bruce Spies's book. We should mention our friend Alan Cozen's book also. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, you got yeah. that something because that's the history of I Want to Hold Your Hand and various um, stories and background information. So both those books are excellent uh, starting points, finishing points, whatever. Right. I think, I think we talk about the starting point. I think really when it comes to um, looking at the difference between the two albums, looking at the difference between the labels, VJ and, uh, and Capital, or the similarity there, really, we have to kind of go with the word, with the word greed. Um, yeah. Yeah, well. Sure. 14, 14 tracks in the UK, 11 or 12 in the States. Uh, in the case of Meet the Beatles, 12. In the case of some of the other albums, 11. Yep. Um, I mean. It, there is a reason, though. Of course. The way the British did uh, songwriting uh, credits, it was, let's say you put out a record that had 20 songs on it. Uh, One record would get divided 20 ways, where in America, it was based on per song fee. So uh, they would, they capital purposely took off and they didn't want to do 14 because they had to pay more. So it was most of the time 11. Meet the Beatles well, and Rubber Soul. Idea. I'm a little confused, Rob. Is it, isn't it what? the same idea, though, the way you kind of broke it down? There's 20 songs that's broken well, let's up. Let's say what? Right, right. So what? let's say an album sold for five, no, $4, we'll say. Right. Uh, each song would get, would, whatever the publishing would be, would be cut in 20 places. In America, each song was, was a fee. So they, right. let's right. say it was four cents a, a song. Um, you would pay uh, for, for, let's say, Meet the Beatles, you would pay, uh, let's see, it's 12, 48 cents. But if it was 11 songs, you'd pay 44 cents. And, right. But if you're dealing with millions of copies, that adds up. You bet. So the idea is, you know, what was a 14-song album over there right. uh, became a 12-song album here with, with Meet the Beatles. And there are, there are differences. There's also the idea, too, that, um, and we talk about this a lot, and it's funny because we talk about this, but I don't know if this really was always the case or if this was something that was intentional, but uh, they didn't like to put singles on the albums. Um, singles were, you know, really meant to be standalone, uh, you know, standalone devices for them. So over there, uh, where, you know, I Want to Hold Your Hand was actually backed with this boy over there. And saw her standing there, which is the second track on Meet the Beatles, was actually the flip of, uh, um, I mean, it was actually the opening track on uh, Please Please Me. Well, it, you, get, you get a one-two punch of the A and B side of the single on With the Beatles. So, yeah, right. You know, there's a lot, I mean, I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but it's, it's just fascinating how this all worked. But we, I think we've kind of covered a lot of, a lot of the background. Um, yeah, but I think we can really go into the album. Well, yeah, you have to also think about where, where the state of, of music was at that point, 1964, especially in terms of albums and singles, because singles in America were really selling like crazy. Teenagers were buying singles because they were more, defo- more affordable. Of course. So you could really afford that instead of an album. Albums were mostly sold to adults who were into uh, Sinatra, who were into Nat King Cole, I sing along with Mitch, not Axelrod, but Mitch Miller. Um, but, al- but also soundtracks, too, were big. Right. Very big. Broadway and Hollywood. But well, let's face it. Opera. What was that? But with adults. Yes. So right. Beatles, Meet the Beatles was one of the first albums that really um, made kids go out and buy albums. 
because they needed to hear every song of the Beatles because they were so crazy for the Beatles. They couldn't just take, you know, uh, two, the, the single and flip it over a bunch of times. They needed to hear everything because the Beatles had such a powerful energy. And that's another thing that we should discuss because Capital purposely wanted a very positive, upbeat energy as a first impression for the Beatles. Because forget about introducing it at the moment. But right. that's why they didn't put this boy on the flip of I want to hold your hand. Right, right. Give them a rocker yeah. instead. Upbeat, energetic first impression. Even though this was on the album, they didn't put it on the single. Um, and, and, you know, so the, this album really started a big trend a lot of ways for, for America, for kids buying albums. And as you said before, Tony, it started the, uh, it really was started the precedent for Beatle albums as, and other groups on Capitol, but especially the Beatles where they, you know, they did the 14 versus 11 and uh, taking you know, here and there. Um, so now this, this meant a lot, this album. But it's, it's also, to me, it's also always fascinating because we, we sort of talk about the idea that the mania, um, like the kids wanted more. You know, the kids always wanted more. They didn't want to just have the singles. They wanted to hear the album. They wanted to hear more, more, more from the Beatles. But the, it, it fascinates me, too, that because there was the mania, they, they went out and bought the album. They wanted more Beatles. But when you looked at what had come right before them, and, and I don't, I, you know, I jokingly trash like the Bobbies, you know, Bobby V and Bobby Vinton and Bobby, but, but, you know, Bobby V had some tremendous singles. You know, the Beatles covered a song that Bobby V did. But you bought a Bobby V album, and for the most part, you were buying one or two singles and then the filler. You bought a Jan and Dean album in 1962, 63, one or two singles, the filler, you know. Even as great as Brian Wilson was, the Beach Boys, one or two singles, filler. Yep. It's fascinating that it, it like lined up, like the, the mania of the Beatles when kids felt that they needed to go and buy the album now also coincided with the fact that the album was not filler. No, no. <clears throat> uh, also, also, you had two records released basically at the same time on two different labels. And that's a major thing too because VJ, you know, cashed in as much as they could off that introducing the Beatles. They released a ton of singles off that, uh, which Meet the Beatles didn't have as much. And it, it was available, if you think about it. The, the mania was there, but also the, the, the music was there, too. You know, right. it was like, it's okay, I just bought Meet the Beatles. Uh, in two weeks, after I get my allowance, I'm going to go buy Introducing the Beatles, or the other way around, whoever you wanted to do it. Right. And also, Top 40 Radio jumped on this. They were playing album tracks off this album. Uh, it wasn't just, uh, I want to hold your hand, and I saw her standing there. They played Don't Bother Me. They played Little Child. When had they ever done that before? Not really, no. Not, no you know, WABC in New York and, and WMCA here in New York also. You weren't, going, also yeah, you weren't going catalog deep on your Connie Francis records. No, no, they didn't do that. Um, so. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, but there, there was so much available just at, for the, the three-month period, you think about it, you know, January, February, March, that it just got all sucked into the system. Well, so, also, don't forget that Capitol also purposely didn't take any of the covers that were on with the Beatles. There you go. Well, Not, until there was you was the only yes, one. And right. the only reason they might have done that is because the Beatles performed it on the Royal Variety Show 
Right. And they were going to do it on Sullivan. I was and, about to say, yeah. And if you and if you also read the liner notes for Meet the Beatles, it does reference the Royal Variety Show. Uh, well, I believe, yeah. The sun, um, and the liner notes are a fascinating part of that album. Sorry. Oh my God, the yeah. liner notes. The liner notes basically take a shot at VJ without taking a shot at VJ, mm. because the liner notes are really basically saying this is really what the Beatles are. This is the official album. I mean, if you, the funny thing is, you know, you've read about them in Newsweek and the New York Times. It's funny that today there isn't a Britisher who doesn't know their name. Who, what is a Britisher, by the way? Is that? <laughs> but I don't know. The hottest property. And it's funny because it says, consider these manifestations. I wonder how many people have actually read the back of Meet the Beatles. Great. You know, in, in Newcastle, 4,000 fans stood all night in pouring rain. In Portsmouth, the queue started 90 hours before the box office opened. In Carlisle, frantic schoolgirls battled police for four hours in a do-or-die effort to gain admission to a sold-out show. And in Dublin, Ireland, the Beatles' first visit set off a mob free-for-all, resulting in unnumbered broken limbs. <laughs> in Des Moines, everyone still wanted to see Bobby V. No. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. we love you, Des Moines. We're, we're not going to lose Des Moines. Yeah. Um, and it does reference the Royal Variety performance on the back, too. Yeah. And, it says, and it also says they're going to be in a feature film, and they're going to be on Sullivan for three t times on his Sunday night show. So, you know, does they would do with, with, does it do with they're coming to your town? Isn't there like a they're coming? Is it, no, that's the monkeys. No, but <laughs> we need to do that. That was not a setup. No, I mean, don't they do it like they're touring also or allude to them coming around? I don't remember. They're getting ready for a royal welcome in America. Ed Sullivan signed them for three appearances in rapid succession on the Sunday night show. They're shortly to film in England a feature-length United Artists movie for worldwide release. And here is their first Capitol record, 12 of their most sensational songs in their wildest Beatlemaniac style. But now we, t we talked about this too, and you mentioned the fact that they took off the covers yeah. that had been on, um, appeared on with the Beatles. But it, I find it a fascinating kind of um, investment in Lennon McCartney or confidence in Lennon McCartney in a sense that even with, with the Beatles, now here you have Capital who, who don't want, you didn't want them to begin with. You know, really, we didn't want to deal with them to begin with. You have the VJ album that has a bunch of covers on it. You know, if you think about it, there's there's a whole bunch of covers on the VJ record, right? And now you you know you've got this these liner notes touting, well, here they are. This is what they really are. And now you've got an album with mo with almost all Lennon McCartney. This one cover. On right, here. right. No, I don't think it was done on purpose. I just think the, they were all rockers. So I think they just, you know, they wanted this to be a rock and roll album. But um, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you have wanted to throw on something with familiarity? Wouldn't um, you have wanted to pull something? Because by now, there were tracks, if I'm not mistaken, and I don't think I am, there were tracks that had, by the time of the preparation to meet the Beatles, you had some rockers that were going to be held over for what would be the Beatles' second album on Capitol. Right, been recorded. That's true. Right. I, I, I think they maybe thought, well, uh, everyone already has the Chuck Berry song. Well, you know, we don't need Roll Over Beethoven. But look what happened. Roll Over Beethoven was imported from Canada, and it charted 
you don't you don't see imports charting in a, on Billboard really a lot, and that's how popular the Beatles were two months later. That rollover Beethoven charted uh, via Canada. So well, the fact remains yeah. that this album was number one for eleven weeks, starting in February, and it was only displaced by the Beatles' second album. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and like you said, Rob, um, the, all the covers that were on with the Beatles that Capitol didn't want on this one. We're on the Beatles' second album. Yeah and, yeah, and it works out very well, actually, because the second album is, is even more, I think, intense than the first album. And then Meet the Beatles. There's an intensity of the second album uh, that just the way it was put together that, you know, even to this day, you, you sort of have to listen to it separately. Not, not the song separately, but the way they put it together and with the, the weird capital echo on some of the songs. And oh, it tough. just... Yeah, it's just this is a certain intensity about the second album. The first one is all rock and roll, except for "Till There Was You." But the the second one, maybe because of the covers and everything, it's just it, it's it just jumps off the disc. I, I yeah. just we have a whole show about that, folks. You can go and listen yeah. to our Beatles second. Yeah, and I, I think they right. do. Um, I think though it was a smart move by Capitol because you had to establish the Beatles for what they were. And if you if you had all the covers on the first official album, um, then you know the, who are the Beatles? They're they're a cover band that did a few original songs. But if you if you did it like they did it, it's basically all their originals, like Tony said. And then after they're established, then you could put out covers because people are already going crazy for the Beatles. And don't forget, by the time the second album came out, I think Can't Buy Me Love was released simultaneously. Just about the same yeah. time, yeah. It was March of 64, I believe. Yeah, it came but out like a week or two. Yeah, it came out in March, and then the, al the second original. album came out first week in April. Right, so it's originals, a single, and then there was still original stuff on uh, on the Beatles' second album, too. But, but I still find it so fascinating, though, that you're going to take an, uh, like what is sort of a band that, you know, yeah, you're, you, the single's now taken off, and the single, I mean, was it because the single was originals that they figured, oh, you know what, let's just throw it in the water and just give everybody, you know, give give an album worth of originals? I don't know. I don't it know. could be. I mean, VJ released uh, covers uh, yeah. for singles, and they released a George Harrison vocal, which hadn't happened uh, right. uh, for a long time with, you know, the regular Beatle releases, so yeah, uh, that could have been part of it, too. Uh, also... I'm sorry, Mitch. No, no, you go. No, 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 you go. I think like, on your point, though, Rob, I think VJ was just releasing everything they had. Right, they had 16 songs. So. Right, and they, and they just did it. They they weren't thinking covers, non-covers. They would just, look, we got a group named the Beatles. They're, you know, let's see what they do. Um, and especially after I went old your hand hit, then they just, they knew they were going to lose the rights anyway. So they just threw it out they there. Did. Yeah. They did. You're right. So yeah. That's why, I mean... Uh, it's it, it's amazing, the VJ. They, but they knew eventually they were going to get the VJ stuff. They just had to wait for the court to uh, right. say, okay, you can own this until the end of the year, basically, is what they gave VJ. So. Right. 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 Um, we could talk a little bit about the album cover. Yeah. We talk about the album cover. Absolutely. I was going to do that after the music, but let's talk a bit about the cover. Well, the cover, um, you know Robert Freeman took it. Very famous yep. picture. Uh, very stark black and white. Over here, they decided to paint it blue. Um, and funny story, I, I didn't know this prior to researching for this show, and maybe I should have. I'm giving myself up now, um, verbally and visually. Um, 
But I didn't know that George Harrison actually showed Robert Freeman, Astrid Kirker's pictures from Hamburg and said, we want it done like this. Can you do it like this? Because if you, if you look at Astrid's pictures, there oh, definitely. With the, you know, with the like very moody, uh, half sort of half shadow faces, not purposely. Well, maybe it was purposely. I would have to ask Astrid, but he actually took pictures of, took those photos to Robert Freeman and said, can you do it like this? And Robert Freeman obviously did. And it was done in like a half hour in a hallway with a black background, according to Paul. But you never know, Paul. The Beatles have been used to doing things for a half an hour in the hallway. I mean, five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Usually in Hamburg, too. Well, um, there you go. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, you ended up with this iconic cover. Um, so iconic. Yeah. And, and I mean, but do you, I mean, I remember, like I said, for me growing up, with Meet the Beatles, I thought there was something wrong with With the Beatles, that it wasn't blue, you know. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. We didn't get it until later. I didn't get that album until much later with the Beatles. So you're right. You, you grow up, and people in, in UK, when they imported it, probably thought, what are they doing making it blue? But, you know, it's, it's weird because in, in America, the, the word, the Beatles on the top, was you know olive green and then it was brown and depending on what copy you got or what plant made it uh it was there were so many different variations of colors and even different color you know colors of blue i remember i used to get a bunch of copies and it one of them it looked like the beetles were much more in focus uh where you could see more of them than some of the other copies i had gotten which you couldn't really see i also John Lennon looked kind of chunky in the picture. He well, did, actually. Well, he was. He was a little, you know, he was a little heavy then. Chunky. Well, I, it wasn't until two years later he got chunky. Well, that's when I started to write about it. His fat Elvis period. His fat Elvis period, as he calls yeah. it. Yeah, but that um, wasn't three. No, no. But um, with the Beatles is, a, is, is more of a black and white. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the blue tint for with the Beatles. I could swear that I remember seeing a brown tint. Somewhere in the in the seventies, when it might have been re-released, I, but I've never come across it. In the top portion where it says the Beatles. Maybe the that's where it was in brown yeah. and green and olive, and it was in every different color. And we, and we should say that the the cover for the EP "All My Loving" in in Great Britain, you could actually see, you know, they're they're wearing the dark sweaters, and you can see like a little bit of the scene, so to speak, where with the Beatles and and meet the Beatles, it's. It's, Dark. you don't see as, it's, it's a little darker per se. It looks uh, you don't see like the Ruddles outlines. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Clear as day. So, uh, you know, that, that photo was used a couple of other places besides the Beatles. It was you know, all my loving too. And so. we, we may want to add that, um, uh, also to the, the songs from the single, from the UK single are, um, songs on this on meet the beatles that are in fake stereo uh i want to hold your hand and this boy are in um fake stereo on the stereo version of, of right 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 um only because a stereo version of i want to hold your hand wasn't mixed until what 66 rob when was it or no uh i want to say there was another release that had a a, a real stereo, but i think it was, it was an australian 
Thinking, that was that was a different mix, but that was another mix along the way. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was for Australia. Yeah, mid sixties or so. Yeah, um, if you so, remember, yeah, uh, I think the nineteen eighty four promo. Uh, yeah, I want to hold your hand when it twentieth. Yeah. It actually says on the label, "This is the first American release of the True Stereo Recording," or something like that. Right. Of course, the, the single was mono, so it didn't matter. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so. Do we want to talk about the songs? Or we want to, do we want to take a break and then come back and talk about the music? Talk about the... the uh, it's not even really we're talking about the music. I mean, well, we are. Well, but, it, but, it, but it's well, it's well put together. It's, it's a good yeah. order. You yeah. Know? yeah, so sorry. Let's, uh, let's take a break. We're going to come back, and then we're going to talk about the music. Sure. Okay. Hi, folks. This is Tony from Fab Four Free For All. As Mitch has mentioned several times, the cast of Fab Four Free For All do not profit in any way doing these shows for all of you. In fact, we actually lose money because of studio time and other production expenses. Now, we have looked into show sponsors, but for a number of reasons, we've decided it would be in the best interest of all of us, including you, our listeners, not to have sponsored ads in our shows. So, what we've done is set up a Patreon account. Patreon is a crowdfunding platform that allows artists to obtain funding from patrons on a recurring basis. Now, it can be as little or as much as you think you can send to us for the work that we put into providing quality Fab Four free-for-all shows. Now, we know that we have thousands of worldwide listeners, and if each of you just contributed a dollar a month, that's just 25 cents per episode, we would have enough to retire and not have to do these shows. <laughs> Sorry. Seriously, though, we've gotten some great feedback from everyone about how much these shows mean to you, and we feel the same way. But it would be nice if we could break even in terms of costs so that we can continue to bring these shows to you in a timely fashion. Yeah, I know, we can be delayed every once in a while, but that's because, as John Lennon so beautifully said, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. But we do vow to make every effort to have a quality show to you every week. We only ask that everyone go and visit Patreon.com to at least check out what it's all about and to see if you can contribute a little something in return for all the hard work and effort that we put into these shows for you. Just do a search for Fab Four Free For All and tell us that you give a buck about what we do. Thanks to all of you for being such great loyal listeners. And we are back. And it's time to talk about more music, more music, more music, more music. Um, but Rob, you had you had a point that you wanted to. Uh, yeah, one one thing about Meet the Beatles, and and they couldn't have planned this, obviously. But five of the songs on the record were played on the Sullivan shows. So the record comes out you know, sort of towards the end of January, and then you know two weeks later, you know the big th seventy three million people watching it on the Sullivan show, and five of the songs over the next three weeks are part of the Sullivan show, which really I'm sure helps sell the record, but also the parents were watching Sullivan more than the kids in many cases, because, you know, it was Ed Sullivan, everyone, all the parents watch Ed Sullivan. And, you know, I'm sure that helps sell the record to the parents too, saying, Oh, these, these guys look nice. You know, they're yeah. singing till there yeah. was you they're, 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 they seem like they're gentlemen, you know? And that was yeah. a big deal, you know? Yeah. Well, no, he wasn't telling anybody to rattle their jewelry on this one. Right. He didn't say that. And, and, and it wasn't like in the press conferences where 
they all would ask him about, you know, all the press would say was, oh, what about, are those, uh, when are you getting a haircut or, you yeah. know, how much, yeah. are you guys millionaires yet or whatever? Well, Sullivan and, also gave them their props in terms of, right, the, he know, did, he loved them. They were he nice boys, you know, Sullivan. Yep. And, and again, you got a guy that's coming into everybody's house every Sunday night yep. and he gives thumbs up. Hey, why not? You know, it was, it was like Johnny Carson, you know, and, and when he used to give his thumb up to the comedians. Yeah. You know, you got that. You were, you were set for life. Yeah, Ed Sullivan <laughs> used to get other fingers back from comedians. Ever <laughs> Jackie yeah, Mason. Jackie Mason. Jackie Mason. But we, you know, we're, we're looking at the sequencing. Oh, sorry, Mitch, go ahead. No, we were going to just talk about sequencing, right. I, I, I was going to say, you know, we want to start talking about the songs, but um, I think looking back in hindsight 56 years later, um, I, I think side two is a weaker side. And I do think that now, I mean, again, back then, I don't think anybody was caring about sequencing. The Beatles were so hot that it was just going to, people were running into record stores and selling, you know, buying everything Beatles, whether it was records, memorabilia, whatever. But I think looking back now, side two is definitely a weaker side. I would have put certain songs on side two. If this was maybe a later album that after the Beatles were established, I think I would have kept, I think I would have done a little more in terms of sequencing. Now, you know, for what it was, Rush released and not Rush released. Well, yeah, it was actually, but uh, I think they did okay, but we should talk about. Well, you, you said give more attention to sequencing, but let's look at the attention to sequencing given here. You've got, you got the British, sing, you know, the, the American single, the capital single, I'm going to hold your hand as far as standing there. You got the British B-side, this boy. Then you've got the next nine songs. All they are are the tracks from With the Beatles minus the covers in the same order. But nobody knew about With the Beatles. This knew. Nobody, unless you were well, a... Capital would have. They would have gotten the tape. They got the tape with the Beatles. And they, maybe they said, okay, we're going to put the first three songs, the singles, the, the A and the B-side, and then the British uh, B-side. And yeah. then... We, you know, we, we ran out of time. Let's, uh, okay, folks, take care. No, you know? but, but, the, but the point is, though, that's what we're saying, though, Rob. Nobody, oh. there was no way to. There was no way was to no gauge way. it here as a right. buyer. Unless right. you were a merchant seaman who got the album overseas and you, you know, and you bought it for your kid or your, or yourself or your, you know, whatever. You wouldn't have known about with the Beatles. So right. there was no way you could have said, well, they, all they did was put with the Beatles after the single. <laughs> Nobody knew about it then here. In America. No, that's true. That's true. We talk about true. just sort of, you know, really not caring. Like, aside from the fact that, like I said, it still, it still stuns me that they went this, this head on with doing all originals. You know, I mean, taking all the Beatles originals. But the idea being that, that no care was paid to the sequencing. When you got to the Beatles' second album, you had a hodgepodge. Yep. But you had a hodgepodge that somebody had to have thought about. But every album subsequent until Help or Rubber Soul was a hodgepodge of a mix of British. Of leftovers of stuff, you know? Mm. You know, I've just seen a face was a leftover from British Help. And they said, oh, we got to put this out. Oh, look, there's this new album coming out, Rubber Soul. Oh, we'll have it open the side. And, you know, whether that was meant to be an acoustic thing that, like, Again, like a lot yeah, of people we, think of, right. but it was probably just a more of a random thing. I mean, think about it. They, you know, Capital called up uh, the Beatles one day and said, "Hey, we need two songs. 
for our next album. Can you record something? And then he recorded Bad Boy and Dizzy Miss Lizzie. Right. And Dizzy Miss Lizzie right. ended up on Help, and, and Bad they, Boy eventually ended up on uh, Collection of Beatles Oldies. Right. And they snarfed three songs off of Revolver to put them right. on, on, you know. But, but we're, you know, we're getting ahead of the timeline here. But I'm just going with the idea that, that at, at least for the Beatles' second album, somebody, I don't know if it was just, well, we got, you know, here's a bunch of the Beatles songs we own. Let's do this one, this one, this one, this one. This That's 11. Okay, we're done. Here's Beatles' second yeah, album. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But somebody had to have thought, at least, about that sequencing. And we always talk about what a hot album Beatles' second album is. Yeah. Right. No, I, I, I think. Mind-blowing, you know, there's a, we do an episode on it. You know. Right, I, I think the the deal is they, they might have had a little bit more time uh, on Beatles' second album compared to, you know, Beatles out Beatles with the Beatles comes out November twenty second, and uh, with this comes out January twentieth. So they had less than two months. There was a Christmas break in there. We all know the record companies take off for Christmas, right. so right. there might have been less time just to look look into it and and do it that way. That's the only thing I can think of because and then think about it. I want to hold your hand gets played on uh, that radio station in DC with Carol James and Marsha Albert. And then a week later, WMCA jumps on it. And then, and the rest of the country is, is, is on it. And, and capital wasn't going to release. I want to hold your hand until January. Right. So all of a sudden they're, they're saying, okay, what do we have to do now? And, and then they, they say, we have to get the album out now. So there's, there wasn't much time. I think I, I, I never realized that, you know, the order was the same. But, you know, yeah. now you brought it up, it, it is a good, very good point. Right. So, right. right. I don't think there was a lot of time with the second album either, because that came out very quickly after this. I mean, this was number one for 11 weeks, as we said, and then it was displaced by the Beatles' second album. So how much time did it – I don't think they really cared about sequencing there either. They but, probably spent more time on the cover. Yeah. They probably did. They did. But it's if you fun. remember on the second album, it said includes She Loves You and Roll Over Beethoven. Roll Over Beethoven, of course – uh, comes from Canada. She Loves You uh, camp comes from Swan because the contract ended and they ended up with the rights to it. Um, well, they ended up on the album. I think Swan had the uh, the single. They couldn't put it on the record, but uh, the LP. But Capital could put it on the LP. So that's why it was there. So Just a weird... You know, there's a lot of you know record company uh, gibberish there too. So that's something to think about also. You know, It wasn't just Capital. They were trying to beat up on Swan and VJ and they, that's why they kept saying the Beatles on Capitol, the Beatles on Capitol. And even uh, look at uh, um, in Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl, what's say our, our latest Capitol record? You know, they didn't say yeah. our latest VJ record. Yeah. And so, yeah, right. you know, right. It sounds well, nice to there. Well, um, should we take a look at the music in order here? Yeah, yeah sure. All right. Sure. Um, you start off with, well, I. We were talking about sequencing, and, and you did say, you said that the second side is the weaker side, but I do have to say this. When I was growing up, Don't Bother Me is what sold me on the Beatles. I've said this in other episodes before. Side one, I dropped the needle down, and I got that single that I was already familiar with. Uh, you know, as a, I was, whatever, I was five when I got the album, and uh, which was, you know, for the, to be transparent, was 1970. So I get the record, I'm five. I knew the single up and up, down and sideways. But when I flipped to side two and I dropped the needle down, I got don't bother me. And that was like revelatory for me. That was, Oh my God. And I loved all my loving and I, you know, different songs that I knew from the radio because the radio was still playing all my loving in, in this, in 1970. Radio was playing every song. Yeah. Well, 
not really. By 1970, oh, by the time okay. I was listening to, okay. yeah, by the time I was listening to pop radio, really from this, you'd still occasionally get your this boy, oddly enough, and and you'd still get, but it was really all my love in this boy. So I stand there and I want to hold your hand that I knew from the radio, and everything else, and all, yeah, all my love and rather, and and everything else was you know was an album cut. But you're right about the second side being kind of like, yeah, you know, um, you do get the song. You mentioned that it was a ballad, Rob, but uh, Mitch, you had mentioned off mic till it was used also from a musical. Yeah, which I think also sold the parents on the album, on the Beatles, because, you know, Sullivan had to have had Shirley Jones on there uh, from the Music Man because he had so many different, you know, uh, uh, how do you say it? The uh, people from different plays doing their songs. So, you know, Broadway was in New York. So I think if you see Paul McCartney now doing Till There Was You, well, then, you know, they can easily go into a store and say, all right, I'm going to buy the album because I saw that long haired kid do the song and it's pretty beautiful. Um, same thing with this boy. You know, the harmonies of this boy really were something maybe that were, you know, going forward. Uh, from groups on Capitol, like the Beach Boys, I think you said, well, Mike Rob, the Beach yeah. Boys, Everly's, uh, you know, all those harmony groups. And now, you know, it's a slow song, but they they showed their chops. So I think adults were liking this boy and Till There Was You. And it made them go out and buy the album too for their kid, where, you know, maybe they wouldn't have. I always look at this boy and um, all I've got to do as also very soulful vocals and we're talking about the way that like the vocals fall um you know you have a couple of lennon vocals in a row at one point on side one you have like three lennon leads with mccartney doing part of them you have two mccartney leads in a row till those you would hold me tight but i find it fascinating that it, it, in the press and the way the beatles were always approached john was still being kind of held up as being the group's leader whether it's press conferences, whether it was, uh, you know, it was always sort of like, well, it is John's band and over to you, John, like to get a, but yet on the albums, both the British and the U S John wasn't really represented as the leader. I mean, Mitch, you, the photo behind you. Yeah. The photo behind me is, is if you look, there's Paul, right? Well, my hand just disappeared, but there's Paul and he's up front. Again, I don't think they did it on purpose, but John's tucked away in a corner down there, you know, uh, so. The pole's right here for me. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it's interesting that, you know, still, even image-wise, John's not being sold as the leader, even though, you know, like I say, press conferences, things like that, it's still that idea of Lennon as the band leader. Well, is, that's why it wasn't Johnny and the Moondogs for very long, you know? Right. I think, John, I think John liked the fact that he had equals in the band with him. But, even, um, but he always wanted to be the leader. I think that was always part of it. But. The Sullivan show, Rob, uh, you know, the vocal mic, the mic wasn't, you know, the mix, as they said, you know, many times they, they had it all down and, and, and the cleaning people messed it up. Um, I, I think the mixes were more in favor of Paul. And yeah. Well, they had John's vocal. Uh, if you look at the uh, February 23rd, it's great. Edition. That mix is the best mix. So that, that was recorded before they went live right. um, the same day, February 9th. So something happened along the way where no one realized it. And, 
you know, that's what happened. But you're right. Uh, the February 9th version is, I mean, the February 23rd version is just fantastic mix. And maybe the technology they used on Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl, where they were able to separate everything through, via a three-track, can be done again to the Sullivan show because, um, you know, you know, you're, they're, even though there was some disappointment among the Hollywood Bowl, there is a lot more difference in the fact you hear Ringo's drums and Paul's bass a lot better on that on the new mix of but Hollywood Bowl. And I'm sure they can do the same for the Sullivan show. But I think yeah. the Sullivan show, his mic was well down in the mix. So I don't know. Right. If he, I don't know if there's anything to work with. Well, that that's part of it. Yeah, his mix, his vocal, especially on the February 9th show, is. Um, not good. Let's put it that way. I, I can't believe they didn't realize that that's going along. You know, but, even I, I can understand the first song they screwed up, but the second song they should have been right on top of. Yeah, but they but really it, weren't. Well, the first thing the Beatles are seen in America, the first time, other than Jack Parr's little right, and they're seen. Who's doing the lead singing? Right. Well, there's there's points where Paul isn't doing the the harmony vocal. You don't hear John. <laughs> you know. Well, so. yeah, but, but again, Paul's doing all my loving to start the whole show. Right. So right. That's why, right. that's why, I mean, I know it was February and this was released in January. Um, but I mean, you know, again, in, in terms of sequencing, you know, it, we could sit here and say, you know, hindsight is 2020. Um, but I, I, you know, now again, back then the mania, if, if you want to know what the mania was all about, uh, go see the I Want to Hold Your Hand by Zemeckis with Eddie Deason. Right. That really does represent so well what what the kids were doing at that point. They were just running into the stores, and it didn't matter what they were grabbing as long as the Beatles were on it. It didn't matter. So are we, are we overthinking this now? Yeah. Uh, back then, as long as they, the, they got the Beatles on an album, they were buying it. And again right. – we talked about the first Beatles bootleg, uh, or off mic, uh, the first Beatles bootleg where you just saw the mop tops and it was like on GRC records. It's called the original greatest hits. And right. never Beatles, but it was Beatles recordings and people were buying that as well because. Well, people were buying a lot of crazy. Oh, sorry. People were buying a lot of crazy stuff because you had bands like the bugs that were like the, the bands that were at the supermarket displays. Right. And you had kids at home and, and the parents were going, you know, oh, my, my little girl likes this group, the Bugs. I don't know what the – and then she's checking out of the supermarket, and there's the Pickwick album by the Bugs. And yeah. they go, oh, that must be it. And there's uh, – how many of those records sold? Because Grandma and Grandpa had uh, no idea. A ton. Right. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. also – Everything, though. What was that? We, can, we can't blame Grandma for everything. Yeah, poor Grandma. Um, one thing also about the record, you know, you t uh, we're talking about the, the Beatles as presented as four people. Uh, you know, George and Ringo get a song on the record as singers. Right. So right. that's very important also because, you know, that's the way it was presented also. Each, they each sang a song when the Beatles did one, uh, played live. And um, George would, of course, become a, even a better songwriter along the way. Uh, so, but, but that's the way they sold the Beatles. It was the four of them. It wasn't John and Paul doing everything. It was, you know, they had George and Ringo there too. And of course, Ringo. Let's be honest. Ringo was the most popular in America, especially in Ringo the and Paul. Ringo yeah, and yeah. So and even the soakies they made, the, the soap suds things, they were just Ringo and Paul. Right. And don't forget who did the first song in the Beatles' first ever concert. Huh? 
It's, is this a quiz? Oh, roll over Beethoven. Was, oh, right. Was George. Oh, right, right, right. I was like, okay. I think for a second what you were talking about. No, no, I'm just saying in terms of, you know, in terms of, uh, yeah. you know, who they're, who's representing the Beatles, there's no leader. George no. does the first one in, in concert. Paul does the first one on the Ed Sullivan show. Not John. No, that's a good point. But, if you, good but point. if you look at the beginning of George getting the short end of the stick, you look at the idea that you look at Meet the Beatles, and there are how many George Harrison lead vocals? One. Look at, yeah. oh, my finger disappeared. You look, at, you look at Meet the Beatles, how many George Harrison lead vocals do you have? Three. So you've gone from Devil in Her Heart, um, uh, Roll Over Beethoven, and Don't Bother Me. Covers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's but true. still, though, just in terms of George's presence on a Beatles album. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Good point. That's good so, point. And, and now you get, he writes his one song, and then as far as writing credits go, he disappears for another year and a half. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> By the way, Mitch, when you were talking about uh, the movie I Want to Hold Your Hand, when I was talking about, when we were talking about the cover before, I think in the movie, the, the covers for Meet the Beatles have the, a brown tint, not the blue tint in the movie. But, yeah, a little little thing, but I think that's where I was talking about the brown tint I think, from I, that movie. Yeah, I, again, that could have been just, you know, props. That's why. Right, right. That's what I'm thinking, too. But that's what I think I, I remember. Which was record store they went into to buy their copy that day. <laughs> you a mistake in that movie because when they do run into the store and go to buy the album, when the album first comes out and everybody's in the store and they go to buy it, um, when they're, they're, you see a scene where they're reaching for the album and they, they take a Meet the Beatles album out, and it bends because there's nothing in it. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> it definitely bends. I'm like, oh, wait, this, does she know that she's getting ripped off? She's just buying a cover? <laughs> no, it was the very brief RCA Dynaflex. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't think so. All right, shall we, shall we look at the music? We'll look at the music. Yeah, quickly. Like music, yeah. Um, the album starts with the one-two punch of I want to hold your hand, and I saw her standing there. Uh, All right. Thank you very much. A lot of great one-two punches in, in Beatles. One-two-three punches, too, even. You got the White Album. You got uh, Beatles for Sale and Beatles 65 with the one-twos. Wait, the White uh, Album has one-two punch? One-two-three. Yeah, tell me which, what, two Dear Prudence? Back in the USSR, Dear Prudence and, and uh, um, what's that, Glass Onion third? That's yeah. a great opening. That's not a one. Well, Pepper has a great three-peat if you three-punch if you're looking for that. Yeah, Pepper's got a yeah. great three-punch. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I like those. I like, uh, you know, No Reply. Yeah. That's Robin what I said. And Babies yeah. in Black. And Babies in Black. That's what I said, yeah. But with the Beatles and Beatles 65, same, you know. Um, yeah, I guess. Could we even recite the first three songs off Beatles 6 without looking at a – I don't even know. Um, no, no anyway. I couldn't. Yeah, right. I couldn't. That's pretty funny. Uh, all right, so you get the one-two of I want. What's that? It really. Uh, of I want to hold your hand, and I saw her standing there. Then you get the ballad, this boy. Um, and again, you know, you were right, Rob, tucking that in third song right in the middle. Throw the ballad in, slow things down a little, let the girls swoon a bit. Um, and then comes the opener of with the Beatles. It won't be long. You know, Tony, yes. we were talking a while back. I think. All My Lovin' should have been the opener of the album. Because regardless, uh, regardless of I Want to Hold Your Hand being the single, 
it's on there and people knew it from Murray the K or people knew it from somewhere that it was on there. So it, it didn't matter that it was, you know, the opening, you know, like if you, if you looked at the back of the record and, and had to read, I, I still think all my loving would have been a great opening punch. And then as you said, at one point, uh, I want to hold your hand because of the dum 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 dum. Right. That would have been the album closer. As an album closer. closer. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, they, they wanted people to know it right away. And that's, I think that's the only reason. All My Loving should, could have been a single, too. And they, you know, it wasn't a single. So it was in Canada. In Canada. Yeah. It was, right. And it was brought down to, along with Roll Over Beethoven as a uh, import. So it's, it's something here, to here, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It did chart here. Um, so, all right. So, you know, it won't be long again. You know, uh, all I've got to do, quirky track, but you mentioned Mitch, a lot of soul. What's that? My favorite Beatle tracks ever. Mine too. Mine I don't know. Quirky. Rhythmically quirky. With rhythmically, it's like it's like four different rhythms in one. I mean, yeah. it's just it's one of those John songs, like where he just doesn't care about how the rhythm goes because it's in his head that it's this way. Right. Well, Ringo did that famous, you know, beat which he used again on a, a ton of other things. Like in my life, and yeah, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. Yeah, but but you got to admit though, as far as what we'd seen before in rock and roll, quirky. Oh, yes, yes, oh we, yeah, definitely. But, but the Beatles were quirky. Then you could say that about everything the Beatles did, as far as what we've seen before in rock and roll. I mean, the Beatles de- redefined rock and roll. Little child. Well, that we complete. So I mean, yeah. That yeah. one I didn't like when it on the album. I usually skip that one. How I, funny. I just didn't love that one. And uh, well, even, the best part is it's short. <laughs> when yeah. I got my first acoustic guitar and didn't know how to play either that or the harmonica, I recorded a cover version of that when I was like eight. I don't know. It just uh, it was bad. Even, <laughs> I know when I'm bringing up the Beatle cartoons, but even when the Beatle cartoons had it in there, I didn't like the episode that it was in. So, so little child. Yeah. That's funny. Like an uh, Indian reservation was stupid. <laughs> okay. Um, so all I've got to do, you know, and again, you, we've gotten three Lennon vocals in a row there. This is your third Lennon lead vocal. Well, um, second, because this boy is a, a, a threesome. Harmony. Yeah, threesome. Right. Okay. All right. So we go down to the song you were saying could have easily been the album opener, which is All My Lovin', which was the opener on Ed Sullivan. Right. Um, but the fact. What's that? After the fact, because Ed Sullivan was a month after, uh, two weeks after this came out. Right. Right, 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 right. But still, though, again, calling attention to the song, back to the idea, as like Rob was saying, five songs from this album performed on Ed Sullivan. Yeah, very strong. Uh, Opening side two with the Harrison track, but don't bother me. Uh, I think that's a great side opener, because the way the... The way it's a long chord progression to get to the the first vocal, and you didn't see that a lot in Beatles songs because they didn't have long openings. It's a long open considering the rest of their songs, really. I mean, it, you know, like you know, da 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 da. You know, I want to hold your hands pretty short. Don't bother me is, is a little bit longer because there's more chords in it. Yeah, a lot of chords in that song. Yeah, yeah, and and it's also again rhythmically quirky. Yep. You know, that's true. All sorts of rhythmic oddities here. What's that? Like that Latin beat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. And heard in rock and roll. Yeah. By the way, the, uh, the, the one longer song probably opening is Roll Over Beethoven. 
Yes, that's oh, yeah. true. That's yeah. a longer. George again. Uh, Little Child is the uh, Lennon composition, um, minute 46. You kind of admit you kind of label this one the throwaway. Yeah. I don't like this song. I mean, it's okay, but it's nothing great. I mean, it's weird that I was just thinking about that Billy J. Kramer then did Little Children later on. Yeah, that's interesting. That's little child, little children, and and then of course you know Gary Glitter. <laughs> no, no, man, don't whoa, go. Whoa. But one thing about Little Child is um, it, it has everything you want in a, in a, in a nice Beatles hit. You know, you have a great McCartney bass line. You know, we have the harmonica, which was. John's uh, new thing at the time, and it's it's a fast moving song. It's got a lot of things in it. Great piano parts. Yeah. It's just not much of a song. You know? and, and it's the only time. What's that? What's that? What was that, Mitch? I said, thank God it's short. Nice. Yes. You know, and it's no, the only I agree, time I you get you get the Beatles doing the bow brumbles. You know, I'm so sad and lonely. I mean, yeah, obviously the bow brumbles started it from the Beatles, but. You know, it's the only That's, time the Beatles doing that, like, early 60s-ish, you know, uh, it was, it, it, I don't know. Well, they did no, it. With, that's a good point, like a girl group thing. Girl, they did it. Which one? Thank you, girl. Yeah, that was... Uh, <laughs> you, Vegan, that's no, true. That's true. They're, they're very close. They're very close in, um, you know, the way they were put together and very close when they were written together, you know. Yeah, March fifth. This was uh, "Thank You, Girl," when it was written, probably a little before that. But right, right. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it's it's not a bad song. It's just not a great song. No, that's uh, that's the difference. And now you've got "Till There Was You" from the uh, musical, uh, the Music Man, written performed by Sophie Tucker. Kidding. Yes, our um, favorite group. But again, what a beautiful song, though. I mean, it, it's it's really funny that it's just such a highlight for, you know, for Paul's sort of musical sensibility i guess but his, it's, chops. his chops yeah it's a very and also george's guitar solo didn't exist in the original so uh he he, he really turned uh, that instrumental break into his own it's really a beautiful yeah. it's one of his best solos really if you think he, about it and he, and he plays it so nonchalant like it's, you know here i am i'm 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 george harrison i'm gonna play this great solo yeah that's he, a really really good Sullivan show what's that he did the solo well on the Sullivan show. Yeah, that's true. He made it look so easy. Because the solo in I Saw Her Standing There, as we all know, he couldn't do the same twice. No, yeah. but that's, that's the genius of him. That he, How many times did he do the, show, the song live and there's different guitar bits in each one? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's very amazing for that song only, really, because he didn't really do it for other songs. But for that one, he was always changing it or upgrading it or fixing it or making yeah. it better or whatever. And yet, Paul to this day can do the same song for a hundred shows and do it exactly the same way with the same. I, I'm sorry, I know. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right, now you get to the song that plagued these poor bastards for how, "Hold Me Tight," which you know, <clears throat> is it Lewison or somebody makes a comment in one of the books about the fact that you know how could you have a song that took them like a hundred takes over like four different three or four sessions and you got that? You know, I think it's a great song personally. Um, I don't. No, what's that? I don't. No, not a I, I, I like the song, but it's also like Little Child. It's sort of this uh, Beatles on automatic pilot. It's it's you a know? stomper. It's yeah. a stomper, but it's 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 like okay, we have this. You know, they could have easily written songs like this for the rest of their lives, but they wouldn't be the Beatles. 
They would have, right. you know, stopped in 65 or 66 or something. No, they would have probably been writing for the Dave Clark Five or something. No, yeah. they would have been, like, writing for other bands' album fillers. I don't know. Right. No, no and, and this would have been maybe someone else's album filler. Right. Uh, it's not bad. It's, it's, you're right, though. You know, it, it, never, it never sounds as good as it could have been. And yeah. we, we've heard a lot of the outtakes, and it's like, okay, it, it, it just – Never went goes anywhere, but it, it's okay song. You know, what? between that and Little Child, which one do you pick? You know, I, I pick Hold Me uh, Tight. I would too. I would too. Mitch, you don't have both on side B again. Right. You, <laughs> good I mean, point. You're doing this later. If again, the Beatles were so hot that nobody cared about sequencing now. But if you if they if this was an album that you put out three years later down the line, and you're thinking about sequencing, you don't put both of these on the same side. No. You don't. You're up. That's true. Good point. Yeah, you're absolutely Good point. Right. But I, I always found that with the Hold Me Tight, when you do hear the outtakes, you hear hundreds of outtakes, you know, and, and you sit there and you go, oh, well, that sounds good. That sounds good. And you hear this with, like, Paul's voice kind of, like, semi-cracking at points and, and phrasing being wonky. You're like, this is the one they finally well out was the, you know, was the keeper? It's sort of like, it's sort of like what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look what you're doing. Hi, you. They don't know what they're saying on that. Yeah, and George Martin just said, "Oh, screw it. <laughs> they're not going to get this any better. Let's just put this out." So, right, like the earlier version of of what you're doing. It's told me time. Good point. Good That's point. Fun. I like that. I like that. And now here's the one that we're going to give to Ringo and the Stones, and just throw it out. And, you know, see what well, see what happens. It's funny because you said they might have been doing filler, might have been doing other people's, you know, their uh, stuff. It turns out that their filler turn was the Stones' first single. And how many number ones for how many other bands in the Brian Epstein farm after the fact? Right. No. Be a man? No, no. Where I'm going is how um, many songs literally that the Beatles threw away became. Right. This one, been. I Want to Be Your Man, was it is album filler. Yeah. Um, but it was the Stones' first single. But like you said, at this point, you know, Ringo had, I mean, talk about how cool it is. That, like here's Ringo became like the rage in America and like the favorite Beatle with the fan club and whatnot. And he gets his, you know, two minute rave up on the album. And that also becomes a, a concert favorite for them too in the States. Yeah. You know. But also, you know what, out, out of, um, it was also in a hard day's night. So I think there's other places right. for this song and Ringo's done it live for, for part of his all-star band for many years. Um, this is a better song than the other two we were knocking only because I think, uh, mm -hmm. the backing vocals are really, um, are really strong on this and they sort of take over on Ringo, uh, whether it was on purpose or not. Uh, and it's, it's also a very short song also. So, but this one works better. This one works well, better. You know, it's not hard. much on the lyric. I want to be a lover, baby. No. I want to be a man. You know, that's basically about it. A, a rave up from a musical standpoint. Holy Jesus. That middle break is insane. Oh yeah. They're, they're, they're on fire on this. Yeah. Song. They're just, you know, this is a, a great, great, um, you know, version, so to speak, that they, they carried over many years. Yeah. It was, a, it was a great capture to grab this, and again, we keep, you know, we keep saying, oh, it's a weaker side, it's a weaker side, it's a weaker side. But we're talking about, don't bother me, till there was you, I want to be your man, and now this one, which closed the second time. Oh, my God. Like, to me, is this, 
it like on the British album, it's buried. It's the second to last track before the album right. closer. Here it's the album closer, which I guess in a way highlights it more because it's an album closer. But I guess we'll look at, is this a lost classic? Yes. To me, it always, yeah. You know, don't forget with I Want to Be Your Man, it starts off with that guitar twang. I want to, you know, and the same thing with this. It starts off with that one bang, you know. Uh, So they had a a way of doing that. Um, And I think you get two in a row of just, you know, that one note setting you into, setting you into a frenzy, especially if you're a Beatlemaniac, a teenage girl at that point. Um, right. you know, I, I know the New York times had the Aeolian cadence or whatever the hell that was, yeah. um, but it, it's, a, it is a great track. And I think it's a, I think it is a, a, a really cool piece of pop that is very underrated in the catalog. Um, maybe not by, all, you know, by Beatle fans, but I mean, if you said to a Beatle fan or even a non Beatle fan, you know, uh, name a hundred Beatles songs, this one, I don't think this would come up. No, but you know, what kind it's of also, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I think the musician, I mean, look, let's face it, it was covered by the Pretenders. You know, it's, I mean, it's been covered by a couple Robert of Robert Palmer covered it too. Robert Palmer, yeah. Robert Palmer did a great version. And he also it. gave right. it a verse. He gave it a, a new verse. Yeah. Oh, he did. I, and yeah, and yeah. Palmer had a, a semi hit with it when it came out uh, on Album Rock Stations. I remember that because it got played. Yeah. And, you know, also the topic isn't. It isn't your regular love song. It's like, oh, I have to go through this again. Um, you know, you know. It's it's in many ways, it's almost a prequel to Norwegian Wood. Um, in in the in the topic in the in this this kind of a sadness in the song that he's going back to this person or woman, and you know, oh, I'm going to get beat up again, basically. You know, not a second time. Um, so it, it, it's 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 a very adult song for. Well, it's a once bitten twice shy too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in that sense, yeah. Did Warrant do that? Uh, once bitten twice shy was a great white, great. But white. it was actually a cover of who, yes. who did the original. I've got the original, but uh, Great White did the cover. That was yeah. one who had the hit. Yeah. Um, so, well, I mean, do we need to talk about the critical reception of the record? I mean, no. you know. Uh, it's it's considered um, one of the top whatever. one of the top albums. You know, it debuted on number one. Sold by December of '64, it had sold over a little over four million copies, and that's um, what with the RIAA. It, yeah, because yeah. Right now, if you go onto the RIAA Golden Platinum website and put in "Meet the Beatles," it says it's five platinum, which means it sold five million copies. So if if it sold 4,045,174 copies by December of 64. <laughs> Tell me that it only sold less than a million in the next 54 50, years. Yeah, 50 something years. That's brilliant. Sorry. There's, there's record sales that are not being recorded here because That's they didn't the world, which is well, why, you know, Hall of Fame. Well, 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 one thing also, that's why the Beatles keep showing capital. It's like, oh, you're not counting again this week or this year. We know um, where all those albums went, though, Rob. That's the, that's the point. <laughs> we know whose trunk they're in. Yeah, okay. Um, but, that's a different show. That's a different show. Yeah. But, you know, uh, in 2003, the album was ranked 59 on Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time and then came in at 53 in a revised list in 2012. Um, 
obviously, you know, CD releases, we've seen it done twice, but, but we have to stress that the version that comes in the Capitol Albums Volume 1 is the true U.S. mix. Right. The fake stereo. Uh, yes, yes. Fake stereo until uh, this boy and uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand, which has, didn't come out in stereo until, until later. Um, and you get the, uh, the mono and stereo on the U.S. Capitol versions. Whereas on the, uh, the, re, the reissued American albums box, they're the U.K. mixes just sequenced. Uh, Not all of them. Uh, the, there's an American um, unique mix. They kept it. But a lot of the dual optic uh, uh, stereo stuff, that was yes. all replaced yeah, because of, of, of be. iTunes, of the iTunes thing. Because yeah. they yeah. wanted iTunes to make sure it sounded good. But they um, put in the dexterization, though. Uh, some of it was like uh, like on Beatles '65. Yes, right. You know, I feel fine, and, yeah. and she's, a she's a woman has the. But then again, that wasn't Dexter. That was George Martin telling, basically shoving down Dexter's throat. Like you want you want an echo? Well, here's some echo because <laughs> the, the mix was was made by George Martin. Now maybe That's Dexter funny. had even more on it, but it was original. <laughs> it was original. Like you know, George Martin is, was much tougher than we. Yeah, we think he's the British uh, gentleman. He was a tough. He was a tough guy, you know. He, he's like he's he's like shoving it back in Dexter's face after being rejected all these years, you know. Wow. So think yeah. about it. it. Was at the end of '64. You know, they they he must not have been happy what happened with the the Beatles' second album with all oh, that Dexterization and stuff. Good God. So, you know, the one thing I will say is, if you look at the singles from this album, there's one. Yeah, yeah there's only one single. Yeah. Yeah. Now they released. In January, they released it in December of 63. Okay? This doesn't come out until January 20th. Right. What's the next single from the Beatles? Can't bring I mean, it up. In when? April. Mar well, March no, it was, March. it was end of March. End of March. So, but think about it. That was a long time. Yes. You know, they, didn't, they didn't have, you know, songs on the chart for 30 weeks. They would be on 15 weeks. And I was like, okay, we got to get the next single out. You know. Yeah, but it's surprising that they that maybe they could have. And now again, contractually, I don't know what I'd have to look it up. Why couldn't they release all my love and uh, even even if it was three or four weeks later, it could have you know it could have been put out as a single. No, I agree. I agree. I think uh, part of it was it was considered so old by then. <laughs> you know, you know, with the Beatles comes out in November of nineteen sixty three. Oh, that's old. That's old. And, and and even the Beatles talked about stuff being. Oh my God! I can't believe you know. I saw her standing there. You know, they thought of that from '62 or '63. You know, and that was only a year earlier. But Mitch, no, she loves you. When John said this is an oldie, some of yeah, you people right remember it. And yeah, it's from last year. This year, I mean, think about that. I mean, they really they were putting out so many singles. You know, rapid fire after. Um, right. No, you're right. I, I just think it's weird that only one single came from this album. Yeah, I agree. I yeah. agree. It's hard. To, it's hard to believe, and it, it's such an important album and an iconic album. When you right. think about where things start, you know, we don't think of introducing the Beatles, even though it was released at the same time. We think of Meet the Beatles, um, and maybe because you know the five of the songs were on the Sullivan Show. Maybe because everyone bought this more than the VJ album, even though they're both available, you know, at the same stores. So, we, one more thing I want to mention is. Um, in 1987, when they standardized the catalog, you know, this was deleted. 
So, you know, we, you know, maybe it didn't sell. I mean, it was still on cassette, but as an LP wasn't available after that. So, um, you know, then it comes back 2004 and then 2014, like you said, Tony, mm-hmm. um, one thing uh, for collectors wise, uh, the original pressings of the album uh, did not list if it was an ASCAP or a BMI. First pressing. Uh, um, yeah, the first pressing. If it was an ASCAP or BMI, you know, song, uh, because they didn't know. And so they, the first pressings didn't have it. So uh, if you ever find it without it, it's usually probably a, a maybe a little worth more money, but who knows? It depends how you collect things. Right. Um, I mean, our friend Dennis, when he was alive, one day I'm hanging out with him and we were going through a dumpster uh, after a record show and he pulls out, meet the Beatles in perfect condition. He opens it up and he goes, okay, this doesn't have the BMI ASCAP. And he looked at me, he goes, I know you don't have it here. It's yours. And right. he was right. I didn't have it. <laughs> I didn't even know about it at that point. So, it, but now yeah, I do. There are so many, I think there, I read somewhere there were 28 variations on it or something. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of things, of yeah. different things. Well, do so. we, do we rate this? I mean, I know we always do that at the end of an analysis and review show, but do we rate Meet the Beatles? What do you do? I mean, you it's, know. it's it's so iconic. It's you know, if it's not a ten or nine, even, uh, you know, what, what's wrong with us? Uh, uh, but you know, one side two is a little weaker than side one. But uh, so what? I play side one more than side two. You know, I, I do that with the, the Help album. You yeah. know, the side yeah. side B of Help is not what I call right. a great side. Right. Uh, right. So I play side one, which I think right, is so uh, give it a the most perfect side. Give it a number. Go ahead. Nine. I'm going to give it a nine also. Yeah, I'm going to give it a nine also. Just so, because yeah. of the, uh, you know. Yeah, because well, because of maybe uh, stupidity we're doing right now. Because, again, it, it, the hindsight's amazing. Yeah. Well, but the fact that Little Child is, is weak to me and so is Hold Me Tight, um, I'm not. It's such an iconic album. I mean, you know, if it's one album to own as an American, it's this one. American. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I agree. You know, I love- and and also, you know, we talked about the cover before, but how many people copied that cover? Oh, Seinfeld. Yeah. Everybody. Right. Lord knows, everybody covered that. Even the. No, the, I, no. The, oh, the, you're right. You're right. I mean, everybody. I, I think for me, I did one of those, you know, Facebook things of like the, the ten albums that affected you most in your life. Right. And this was one of them. And, you know, I'm sitting here giving it a nine. But from my youth standpoint, you know, this album was a, a 15. You know, there was nothing like this. I have five copies of this album in my collection, not because of collectors, you know, BMI, ASCAP, and one, one doesn't have produced by George Martin. I wore the crap out of this when I first got it, when I was two. I wore the crap out. I have it behind me. You can't see it because I have a virtual background. But uh, behind me, I, I have the original copy I had when I was two. It's beat to shit. But you know what? Uh, it, I, I had to have five different copies just when, in the 60s alone because right. I wore this thing out. It was the Beatles. It, it didn't matter what music was on it. It really didn't to me. It was the Beatles, and it, and it was just so iconic. I stared at the cover for hours. I really did. Cool. So I, 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 as you guys know, I, I collected the British versions first. So I, I didn't have this for a long time. Wow. Um, you know, cause when I, the first time I started to collect was like 79, 80. And then, you know, and I'm saying, okay, I got to go back. So I went, you, as you guys know, the British albums first, but 
in the mid eighties. You know when I started to play this a lot when I started my Beatles show in, in 83, sure. 84, because we only had the American records there. So I think that's where I started to gain a an insight into the album and, and not just meet the Beatles, but the second album and Beatles 65 and stuff like that. So um, can I just say one thing? When I see this album in different incarnations, meaning later, like on the lime green or on the orange or on the apple, it doesn't look right to me. It no. has to be on the rainbow. It's weird. Right. When you meet the Beatles on Apple. I'm like, no, no, right. sorry. It has that, to be. That's a good point. Yeah, because they did put everything on Apple for a while, and yeah. uh, that's a, a very good point. Even, uh, even the even the green lime, even the capital orange one. If it's not on the original rainbow, I don't consider it. Authentic right. Beatles. I don't know great. why. That's great. And and one thing I want to say, I'm, I'm glad Apple woke up to the fact that the American albums had to come out. I mean, they did volumes one and two in 2004, 2006, but in 2014 you know, basically putting out the entire American catalog. You know what? It was, it was a, you know, it was a nice thing to see, but also historically these albums fit in. And I know people who don't want the British albums because they grew up on the American albums. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I think that's important too, because yeah, we can make our own CD, so to speak, or, or our own Spotify playlist now or whatever you want to do. But you know what? It, it, that orders how we remember it yeah. or, or, or certain people remember it. And that's very important too. You can't yeah. you can't mess with your with your memories with that. So no, you can't. You're right. It's it's right. there and like, you know, for me, sixty two, sixty six goes about help, and then we can work it out. I think whatever the help the help side is in my brain, mm. and um, you know, if I don't hear the, that way, then I'm like, okay, something's wrong. Something's wrong. But yeah. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for this episode. And uh, thank everyone for joining us. And uh, we've been doing an analysis and review of Meet the Beatles. Uh, and um, Meet the Beatles. Meet the Beatles. Nice. Talk about parodies. And uh, for Fab Four Free For All, I've been your moderator for this episode, Tony Chiguardo. Joining me has been... Mitch Axelrod. And... And Rob Leonard. And uh, we will see you, and maybe you'll see we'll us. never see us again. <laughs> <laughs> Sometime soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Fab Four Free-For-All was edited and produced by Tony Chiguardo at Word of Mouth Studios in Westbury, New York. The opening and closing theme is Not Alone by Barry Waller. Be sure to visit our website at www.fab4free4all.com.